This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. Everyone's a little bit different, but there's a tolerance or a threshold that we all have, and it gets pulled down because of all these things happening. So then something happens that otherwise we would have responded to really well or thoughtfully, and then we snap, whether it's snapping at our spouse or one of our children or something, and so people just don't respond very well in those situations. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the health benefits of ginseng. We'll discuss more sports injury triage. We'll find out how to deal with uncertainty. And lastly, we'll hear how to navigate sex during a pandemic. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Jothuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is also a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and, of course, this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. And I think we're hitting upon a topic today, which is interesting to me, because even though I've been in health and wellness since 2007, there are certain natural products out there, which I don't know all the information on, as amazing as that might be. And ginseng is one of them. And I think a lot of people have confusion with this because there's so many things to know about ginseng and so many different types. So can you uh, set us straight today? What do you think? I'm going to do my darndest to try. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning, which is a very good place to start. What is ginseng? Well, ginseng is one of the oldest and most well-known and researched herbs. Now, the interesting thing is, as you touched on, is it's not actually one herb, but it's actually a family of similar but not identical acting herbs, some of which have been cultivated for over a thousand years. How was uh, ginseng used historically? Well, ginseng, the term ginseng is actually roughly translates to mean all healing man root. And this is because some roots, actually a lot of them, look at a distance like a small man running. And the root was traditionally used and still is used as a cornerstone component of so many traditional Chinese medicines. It's amazing what it does. And the beautiful thing is all of the ginsengs, be them the traditional Chinese one, etc., all of them are part of a family of herbs that are classified as adaptogens. And those are supplements that help your body handle and overcome both physical and emotional stress. I like to think of it much like the U.S. Marine slogan, ginseng helps you adapt and overcome. 
<laughs> okay, so it's a it's it's a panacea then, right? Like it has all sorts of different uses, and and I think there's been all sorts of research done on ginseng. So let's oh, yeah. let's talk about the different types of ginsengs there are and what they might be helpful for. So, you know, forgive me because I don't know this, but I am told there's white ginseng and red ginseng. What is the difference between the two of them? Some ginseng species can be found in red and white. The interesting thing to note is that red and white are actually the same root. It's just that the way the process changes them. Now, white ginsengs, the roots are air-dried, while red ginsengs, the roots are first steamed and then dried. The reason this is done is the traditional steaming process converts some of the compounds in the root itself from inactive to active. This makes the red ginsengs significantly stronger and faster acting than their white counterparts. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, you mentioned that there are different sort of plant families that are all considered to be ginseng or have the qualities of ginseng. Can you explain what we think of as true ginseng or imperial ginseng? Sure. So the true ginsengs are what were the original ginsengs, and those are ones that are part of the genus or the classification, the scientific classification, Panax. These include Asian ginsengs, which are Panax ginseng and Panax natto ginseng, and North American ginseng, which is Panax quinquefolius. There are other adaptogenic herbs that are not from the genus Panax, so they're not related genetically, but are also called ginseng. And these include Siberian ginseng, which is also known as Eleuthero, Indian ginseng, which you may have seen called ashwagandha, and Brazilian ginseng, which is also called suma. Okay, so when we go to the store and it says ginseng, like we should be able to tell from the label whether it's red or white or whether it's a Panax or whether it's one of the others, right? Like we should be able to see on the label? Definitely. By law in Canada, every single herbal product has to list the species on the label. It may not be on the front, it may be on the side. So if you see just ginseng up front, twist the label or twist the bottle and you'll see on the label it'll say it's imperial ginseng and then it'll have the bracket Panax ginseng. It'll say it's North American ginseng, in which case it'll have the bracket Panax quinquefolius, etc., etc., etc. So it'll tell you what it is. You do want to make sure that you know which one it is because although they're all adaptogens, the other qualities of them are not the same. Okay, so let's talk about that because they work in different ways. Why don't we start with the Asian ginseng, which I think is one of the Panax ones, right? Correct. Imperial ginseng or Asian ginseng, it was the original ginseng. We can call it the grandfather. The OG. (laughs) There you go. That's a good one. The original ginseng. It's the one that Health Canada has approved for use for blood glucose control, to improve cognitive mental function, to reduce stress and fatigue, and to enhance physical performance. And most people use it as an energizer, an all-round body energizer, a stress tonic, an immune enhancer, a sexual performance enhancer, and for blood sugar control. A big thing to note is imperial ginseng is considered a warm or yang ginseng. What that means is if you're someone who is prone to overheating, this ginseng will make you more prone to it. So if you're someone, for example, who is suffering from hot flashes, you don't want to go anywhere near it. You don't, because it's going to trigger them faster. All right. That's good to know. Are there any other contraindications with the imperial ginseng? Yes, 
there are. Every herb has some contraindications. With the imperial ginseng, you really want to make sure that because it affects blood sugar, it actually helps with glucose control. You want to make sure if you have blood sugar issues that you talk to your doctor first. And the other big thing is if you take antidepressant medication or blood thinners, it can have an action on them. So you just want to make sure that you chat with your practitioner first. Good advice. All right, let's move on to the other Panax, which is the North American ginseng. The interesting thing about this one is it's not the OG again, but it's fairly old. It's been known throughout the world since about the 18th century. It grows right here, guys, in Canada. In fact, it grows in the southern climates of Canada, pretty much countrywide. And the really interesting thing about it is the vast majority of North American ginseng is actually exported to Asia, where it's valued for its cooling properties, so its yin properties. The nice thing there is, for example, if you're, again, a woman who suffers from hot flashes, this ginseng is great. It won't trigger them. In fact, it may make it easier not to have them. Now, North American ginseng has been studied for tons of stuff, but Health Canada has approved its use, again, for blood glucose control to help relieve restlessness and nervousness and as well, nervous indigestion and an adaptogen. But its big, big, big one is to maintain a healthy immune system. Big, big use for that. Almost all of its use is as that, as for immune system health. Okay. Is there a price difference between the Imperial and the North American ginseng, or are they roughly in the same price point? Brand to to brand, it'll change, but your true ultra-premium, I'm talking your five-year roots or older red imperial ginseng, will be slightly more expensive than your North American, but your North American, when it comes compared to your imperial white ginseng, very similar, very similar in price. Okay. Let's move on to the newbies and the ones that aren't in the Panex. Let's talk about Siberian ginseng. Siberian is one of my personal favorite ones just because of its history. It's been used in traditional Chinese medicine for about 2,000 years, but it was practically unknown outside of traditional Chinese medicine until the 1940s. And that's when the imperial ginseng became very hard to get because of over-harvesting. So at that time, Russian scientists began looking for other plants in similar families for related compounds because they just couldn't get imperial ginseng. They found Siberian ginseng had very similar properties, and they had it plentiful growing all throughout Russia, so they figured, why the heck not? Mm -hmm. They were so enamored with its clinical results that they started including it in the Soviet Pharmacopoeia, which is their official drug Bible for doctors, and required it for Russian athletes before the 1970s Olympics. And also, every cosmonaut had to take it. It was required. Hmm. And the reason is, and this is some of the cool things about it, is Health Canada approved Siberian ginseng as a tonic for weakness and fatigue and to aid during recovery and improve mental performance and physical performance, particularly after exertion. So if you're someone who's doing any athletics, you're exerting, it helps you perform, and then afterwards to recover. When you say helps to recover, what do you mean? Like, how does it help you? What does it do? Physically, it helps you recover from the stress of it because what you're doing anytime you're working out or you're stressing your muscles, you're stressing your mental 
capacity at the same time. It actually takes mental capacity to do proper physical exertion. It actually helps your body recover both physically and mentally from it. Okay. Let's move on to the Indian ginseng. What is it used for? Indian ginseng is one of the most important herbs in Ayurveda, which is the traditional system of medicine in India. It's part of a family of botanical preparations that promote, quote-unquote, a youthful state of physical and mental health to expand happiness. It's really interesting because in India, it's used for small children as a tonic and also taken by the middle-aged and the elderly, all to increase their longevity. Huh. Health Canada's approved it for relieving disability, especially during convalescence or old age, and to increase energy and resistance to stress, as well as a memory enhancement. And in outside of traditional use, that's where it's most often used is as a memory enhancement and to increase energy. Okay, and we have one more left, and that is the Brazilian ginseng. This one I had to do the research on because this one, I'll be honest, I knew very little about. It is the least known of the ginseng. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> it's indigenous to the Amazon basin, and over there it's known as either suma or paratoda. And it's essentially a, just a large vine with tons of deep, extensive roots. And it's those roots that are important. It's a foundation herb for many Amazonian tribes. And they use it for a massive amount of health purposes, including a general tonic as an energizer, to rejuvenate as a sexual tonic, and as essentially a cure-all for many illnesses. Paratoda, the name, loosely translate as for all things. Okay. So they use it for all things. Health Canada's approved it for relief of fatigue and for relief of menstrual cramps. And the problem is there's not many products containing Suma licensed for sale in Canada. So it's unlikely any of your listeners or you would have come across it yet. But that will change over time as people become more and more familiar with it. Okay. So these ginsengs do different things. Does it make sense for the listeners to take more than one type of ginseng? Or if they're taking one, should they avoid the others? I'd recommend just looking at one. Pick the one that makes the most sense to you. For example, if you're looking for a general adaptogen, one just, okay, you know what? I lead a relatively stressful lifestyle. It can't hurt me to have something that's going to help me handle and recover from stress. I'd suggest trying Siberian ginseng. The reason is it's generally well-tolerated. It's quite effective for a vast majority of people. And, for example, women who are on hot flashes, they don't have to worry about it. It's not a problem there. If you're looking for an energy boost, I'd recommend imperial ginseng. A lot of people, especially older adults, report great results using it. If you're looking for an immune boost or something to help with your frayed nerves, I suggest North American ginseng. But the thing is, with any of these, and frankly with any herbal products at all, you should try and chat first with your practitioner before you take them just to make sure they don't have any concerns. And try also to use the cleanest supplements out there. So ideally go for certified organic capsules because they'll just be clean. Okay. So are people 
cultivating ginseng or is it all wild? Is that what you're talking about when you're talking about organic? Oh, no, it's cultivated. In fact, in North America, it's illegal to take North American ginseng from the wild ah. because it's an endangered species. Oh, no, it's it's cultivated across North America. In, in Russia, they do cultivate the Siberian ginseng, and in Asia, they do cultivate the imperial ginsengs. They're all done tightly controlled. And the reason you want to do the organics very simply put are, these are roots a lot of the times that take four, five, six years to grow, and there's always a concern that they might be subject to insect issues or they might be subject to disease. So they're often sprayed with stuff that I neither can pronounce nor do I want to have anywhere near me. That's why I always go for organic. I'd prefer stuff that it basically is clean from nature the way it's supposed to be. That makes a ton of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure. We'll hear back from you next month, yes? Oh, definitely. Wouldn't miss it. Fantastic. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss sports injury triage on The Tonic. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric-coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Talking Dirty. Brought to you by Ultramedic Adjustable Lifestyle Beds. Ultramatic's new antimicrobial mattress is the only mattress in Canada with two levels of protection against viruses and germs. Practice safe sleep. This has been me talking dirty. The antimicrobial mattress. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Then try it in Ontario's safest mattress store at Lawrence and Bathurst. Ultramatic. Elevate your sleep. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Stacey Irvine is the co-founder of Totem Life Science. Through her work as a chiropractor and strength and conditioning specialist, Dr. Irvine's clientele ranges from beginners just starting out on an exercise program to elite and professional athletes looking for advanced rehabilitation and training program strategies. She's made several appearances as a fitness expert on City Line, Canada AM, Global Television Network, City TV, WTN, and is frequently quoted as a fitness expert in Chatelaine, Glow Magazine, More Magazine, Zoomer and the Toronto Star. And of course, she's become a regular on this show. Welcome back. How are you? I'm great, and I'm happy to be here. Part two of our big injury list. Yeah, exactly. We had so much fun talking about the horrible things that can happen to people when they're trying to be fit that we actually have to do two shows on it. Two parts. There's so many injuries. So I think we did four last time. I think we ended up with yoga wrist. So we have some more. Stay tuned, folks. Let's talk about shin splints. That's a big one. Oh, that's a huge one. Okay, so shin splints are incredibly common, and we are seeing them now with this pandemic because we have more people out running and walking, which is great, but we are seeing more shin splints coming into the clinic. And there's two types, so there's medial and lateral. To keep things really basic and helpful, we won't go into detail. I do treat them differently, but in a general sense, they're usually caused by similar concerns. So when someone comes in to see me with shin splints, I'm looking at three things. I'm looking at was there a change in the surface 
they were running on? Was there a change in the volume of their, you know, whatever they were doing? Or was there a change in the footwear? And 99% of the time, it's one of those things. So if you are feeling that pain, so it's either going to be on the outside or the inside of your shin, I want you to look at those three things and say, okay, what changed? And there's a really good tip with this in that if you go onto something and you start to feel the pain, generally that's the thing that's causing the pain. Yeah. So whether you're running more on concrete or, you know, sometimes it can be even just that you're running on a really uneven surface and your feet are not strong enough to manage that surface. So first of all, with shin splints, it's identifying the problem. This is one injury where the treatment is very mildly helpful, okay? The most important thing is we've got to sort out the problem, and it's usually one of those three things. And then when we treat it, they can be extremely painful, and they can really limit people's ability to be active, which really obviously frustrates me because I, you know, I really want everybody to be out there and be moving. Sure. So our treatment is really trying to figure out, okay, do we need a new pair of running shoes? Like that's another common one is that we've done the mileage on the shoes. They're no longer supporting our feet. So we've got to invest in a good pair of running shoes. Do you know, for me, when I was running, it would always start at the beginning of running season, Mm -hmm. right? And then I would have to do, you know, there's some stretches that you can do to help and then it would resolve. You know, it was interesting. Naomi and I went hiking and, you know, over the summer, we've been doing that a lot more. It's just one of those activities that you can do through COVID. It's just more convenient. And we were on a path that was surprisingly a lot of up and down. And she really felt it in her shins after. And and we were speculating because we were wearing the same equipment that we normally do. And so we felt it was the change in the elevation that was impacting it, which I guess gets to your whole point of like a new surface, a different type of surface. Yeah. And when you think about shin splints, I want you to think about physics and exactly what you describe is exactly what causes them. So when you're going up and down hills, all of a sudden you've changed the angle of your foot, okay? And then that can cause an irritation if you're doing it over and over and over again and your body's not used to it or not prepared for it. You'll come home, you'll, the next day usually you'll be like, wow, like why are my shins so tender? And it's just from that change. And then we come back to the volume because if you don't do it over and over and over again and you let yourself rest in between, which is what you were speaking about when you start your season, if you let yourself rest and you let it strengthen itself in that rest, then, you know, lots of times you're good to go. Yep. I would start with the hill work, right? That was Mm -hmm. the problem, right? And and if I stopped doing the hill work, it would resolve. Okay. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about another one. When I was playing basketball, when I was younger, for whatever reason, this was the injury that I got almost all the time. And that's a pulled hamstring. Okay. Yeah. I love this one. Pulled hammy. We hear about these all the time. It's a tough injury. It generally comes with some type of more intense activity. So it's not a chronic buildup injury. When you pull your hamstring, you generally know that you've just done that. And you generally know that you've done something really bad. Yep. And it is a tough injury. You know, this season, we see it a lot with water skiing. There's a wipeout, and then the hamstring goes. And I have to say that is one of the most common ways. If we're not dealing with athletes and we're dealing with kind of the weekend warriors, we see this injury a ton with the water sports. With the athletes, we see it in the sprinters, and it generally happens in deceleration. 
so that would explain probably your basketball is that when you're sprinting and then all of a sudden you have to try to stop yep. quickly, that is when we often see a hamstring. Uh, I was going to say it was always yep. the change in direction that would cause it a, an abrupt stop or having abrupt. to move laterally when you weren't ready for it. That's when it would happen. Exactly. Now, what to do with this one? So this is one injury where I'm going to say to you, you have to see someone right away. Yep. And you will understand the severity of it based on if we see, like, bruising, then we know that it's a very severe tear versus a mild tear where we just have a little bit of swelling and a little bit of discomfort. We look at those two things very differently. When there's a really, you know, severe tear, we have to do a lot of work on the side of the rehab. You know, sometimes it can even be a surgical thing. Mm. So you really want to get to physiotherapist, chiropractor, someone who is experienced dealing with this injury and you want to get on the rehab immediately, that doesn't mean that you always have to stop being active. It just means that you want to get on the right track. If you have an actual tear where we have the bruising and the bleeding and the swelling, you are going to be a few months until you get back to normal in most cases. However, you can ride a bike, you can do slow jogging. There's a lot of things that you can do as your hamstring is recovering, but if you do it wrong, you will re-injure it and you will re-tear it and then it can become kind of a year-long event or something that happens all the time. So this is an injury that you really want to get in to see a professional for and get it assessed. And, you know, the hamstring is not just one muscle. There's a whole series of different attachments and different heads there. So we need to know exactly what we're dealing with. We need to know exactly where the tear is. And that helps us do a very good job of the rehabilitation. So it really is a good idea to get in to see someone for this one. And you know when you've done it because it saps you of all your strength, right? It's not just the pain. It's that like you feel, I wouldn't say tender, but you feel uneasy in your natural movement. That's how I would define it, right? And and with a hamstring tear and even on the mild kind of edge of it, we don't want you back out doing basketball or soccer or anything like that because you are at risk of really injuring it when you try to do those quick movements again. So it's something that really, it's to your benefit to get someone to help you with it. It's a tough one. I dealt with this for years too, and and it's a really tough one. You got to stay on top of it. You got to stay on top of the strengthening. It is a challenge. So less severe, but probably more frequent for a lot of people who have Pelotons and are are working out is tight hip flexors. And that's one that I have right now, like all the time. Oh my gosh, it's so, so, so common. And not to mention all the sitting we've been doing. Yep. Because, again, we talked about this last day, is that a lot of these injuries come from the fact that we sit and sit and sit, and then we jump up from our desk and say, oh, my God, you know, I've got to get to my tennis game, or I'm going to, I'm meeting yep. a friend out for whatever. So the tight hip flexors is the muscle that is in the front of your hip joint, and you can look at it right now if you're sitting, and you can see how that muscle is shortened. Yep. And then when you go to stand up, it lengthens. And when you go to do sports lots of times, we need it to be able to be in an extended position when we're running or, you know, basically any activity, we need to be able to extend that hip joint. And if you don't have the range of motion there, you're going to be in trouble. So then we have things like what we call snapping hip, where you have a painful snap of that muscle as it moves, you know, in whatever direction that you're trying to move it in. And believe it or not, tight hips also lead 
lead very commonly to low back pain. And ankle injury and knee injury too, right? Yeah, they basically really limit your functioning. And so we want to open that hip joint up before we do activities. And in many ways, this can be a simple way to deal with it. I also find massage therapists can be very helpful with this injury. Do you know what's working for me? After every single workout now, I've been including anywhere from four to six minutes of pigeon pose. Oh, I love it. I was just going to say, there's a few yoga poses yeah. that are absolutely excellent for this. So yeah. the, the ones that I like are upward dog, yep. the low lunges, yep. and then the pigeon. Yeah. Pigeon is, for those who don't know, and you're going to go look it up, it's a very, very unpleasant pose. But if, <laughs> if you can do it, if you can do it, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It opens up everything to you. If you're having, if you're spinning, if you're rowing, if you're running, all of them require you to do this. Mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize this enough. And I love that you're doing it at the end of your workout. So at the beginning of your workout or any activity, we want dynamic. So when it comes to hips, I just want you to do some leg swings back and forth and just try to open that up. When you finish exactly what you're doing, four to six minutes of the deeper, more intense stretches. We do that after the workout to prevent the problem from happening next time. Fantastic. We have time for one last one, and that would be sore necks that sometimes manifest themselves as headaches. Another really common one and often related to the fact, again, that we're sitting, we're sticking our heads forward. And I'm going to give you a really easy correction on this. Now, if those of you that are driving, don't take your hands off the (laughs) wheel. But for you that are sitting and just listening, put two hands behind your head, push into those hands and give yourself a double chin. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what that is doing is getting your neck back into a proper position. So sore neck comes from us sitting in bad posture for the majority of the time. So we want to get our neck back into a good position and good posture. We want to get our shoulders back and take that stress off. And we also want to make sure we've got the range of motion. So doing your neck stretches. But I love the isometric, like just the holds. And I promise that that will get rid of the pain, at least temporarily, and then help you learn how to kind of retrain those muscles so that your head is in a good position. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. We'll have to hear from you again soon. Yes? I can't wait. Fantastic. That was Dr. Stacey Irvine. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to deal with uncertainty on The Tonic. Parkinson Canada provides services and education to people with Parkinson's, their families, and the healthcare professionals who treat them. Since 1965, the organization advocates on issues that concern the Parkinson's community in Canada. The Parkinson Canada National Research Program funds innovative research for better treatments and a cure. A national registered charity, Parkinson Canada fulfills its mission through the generosity of donors and is an accredited organization under the Imagine Canada Standards Program since 2013. For more information, visit parkinson.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Combining over 30 years in the field of self-development, Rod McDonald is the CEO of the Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world, and a speaker, coach, and author. For more information on the Certified Coaches Federation, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How are you doing? Well, if I said I'm not sure, I don't think I would be alone. I think there's a lot of people who are unsure how they are because they're dealing with all this uncertainty that's still floating around. Would you agree with that? 100%. The amount of uncertainty in so many different areas at the same time, from health to finances, career, and all those things put pressure on things like family and relationships. There's uh, more certainty than we've seen probably in about 60, 70 years. Right. And for those of us who aren't 60 or 70 yet, it's probably the most uncertainty they've seen in their entire lives. It's different than 9-11. It's different than the big stock crash. There's less grounding. I think that's the way I would call it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just coming from all sides. And it is primarily the result of one thing being COVID-19, but it has spilled over into so many other things. And, And some of those other events that you mentioned, they typically dramatically changed one or two aspects of our lives, but this has changed almost everything. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such a challenge. You know, I think as humans, we need to be grounded somehow. And it feels like, you know, there's only so many legs on a table you can take away before it falls over. And I think we're maybe for a lot of people, they they may feel that's where they're at. How are you seeing, I know you deal with a lot of people through Coaches Federation and what are you seeing with your clients and people that you're dealing with? How's it manifesting this uncertainty? Well, I'm seeing it on two fronts and two very related fronts, being both my own clients that I work with, as well as the coaches that we're training and their uncertainty around what the coaching business is going to be like and how are they going to work with clients who might be experiencing the uncertainty that they are. So there's a lot of uncertainty that's manifesting and To a certain extent, humans are good at dealing with a little bit of uncertainty because that's how we've evolved. But the last couple hundred years, for most of us, have sort of put us to sleep as it relates to needing to be able to respond to uncertainty in a healthy way. So we just haven't had that many things happen, especially in North America, that have sharpened those senses. I agree with you. And, you know, what I'm seeing is people are acting out like they're not thinking they're sort of reacting emotionally and viscerally it's almost like their patience is being used up by all the new layers of things that they need to do in order to function whether it's wearing masks indoors or lining up or whatever it is that's made our lives more challenging it's almost like one pie and you know if the pie's eaten up with dealing with those things there's nothing left to deal with like positive interactions and just the the nice part of life. That, that's the way I see it. I just see it. Yeah, like, absolutely. And, and just to put a little uh, levity to it, you know, there's a lot of people who are eating pie yeah. trying to deal with the stresses that they're feeling. So, you know, you're right. And, and the way that I look at it is that we all have a threshold for uncertainty. Yeah. You know, and everyone's a little bit different because of how they were raised, uh, where they grew up. There could be cultural aspects and all kinds of different things. But everyone's a little bit different, but there's a tolerance or a threshold that we all have, and it gets pulled down. So our threshold is lower because of all these things happening. So then something happens that otherwise we would have responded to really well or thoughtfully, and then we snap, whether it's, you know, snapping at our spouse or a child, one of our children or something, or we're worried about making a bill or something like that. 
and it really, as you said, there's just not a lot left. And so people just don't respond very well in those situations. Well, let's see if we can help them. What sort of resources are you aware of to help people who are feeling sort of the challenges of uncertainty? Well, it's a great question because, again, everyone's a little bit different. So one of the questions that I ask my clients is, you know, what are the areas that are really critical for you right now that you're feeling stressed about or feeling overwhelmed by? And what are the areas that you don't need to worry so much about? And so, you know, the project of wanting to, you know, repaint the garage or something shouldn't be that high on anyone's list of stressors. But it is the kind of thing that, you know, if somebody keeps on nagging them about, well, why haven't you painted the garage? Well, then that can be a stressor. But, you know, things like making the mortgage payment, making the utility payments, not knowing if you're going back to work, if there's a job to go back to, those things are legitimate stressors. And what we typically will do is ask the client, you know, has there been a time when you have experienced uncertainty in the past? And if so, what was it and how did you manage through it? And to a certain extent, we call that the elicitation strategy. So we're, we're listing strategies from the client to say, hey, what, what have you done before this worked? Yeah. And oftentimes people will say, well, oh, yeah, there was this time back in college that, you know, my grandmother passed away and I had my final exams to write and, you know, and I, it was really stressful. And, OK, so what did you do? And they'll come up with a, the strategies that they put into place. And it's always from a perspective of what worked. And they'll often, you know, list out a few different points. And I would ask them, well, could you employ at least some of those things in this situation? And oftentimes there's an immediate shift, increasing certainty, because they're reminded of the past certainty that they've created in an uncertain time. That makes sense. So I guess what you're saying is like it's an opportunity to find a sense of control over what we can manage, right? Like there's things that are out of our ambit, like the economy in general, we have no control over, but we have control over our own finances. We can't control the way people are behaving, but we can certainly control the way we react to those behaviors, right? To a certain extent, yes. There are some instinctive reactions that are hard and sometimes impossible to control. But in general, if we have a few moments to think things through, then yes, we can absolutely control our reactions. I'll say, though, that if people haven't had any practice at that, and that's the sort of sharpening of that skill, if someone hasn't had to be resourceful in the past, and now for the first time in their adult life, they're being asked to be extremely resourceful in a very uncertain time, then they're going to need some support. And certainly that's where a coach can come into play, but as well, supportive family members, friends, coworkers, things like that are important. And I would think that there, there are also some other things that people can do, eating well, getting you know enough sleep. Sure exercise, getting some physical activity, all of those things will help because what they tend to do is actually boost up that threshold. You know, if we get a good sleep, if we eat well, if we exercise, then our threshold will increase. And so that the next time we have a stress, we'll have more of that bandwidth to deal with it, more pie, as you said. Yeah. I mean, because there's a connection between the mental and the physical, right? If you put yourself in a position where you can take on more stress and the way to do that is to be physically more healthy, then I think that puts you in a better position. And and I would add, you know what I'm finding? Like, you know, I'm in business, I'm in the arts, you know, we all have to earn a buck, we all have to move forward. 
I've stopped making long-term plans. It doesn't make sense. It's a bit of a mugs game, but you can certainly sort of nibble. Do you know what I mean? Like you can say, you know, this week, this is what I'm going to accomplish. Or today, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And moving incrementally towards whatever goals, you know, you have right in front of you, I think gives you the ability to sort of relax in the moment and not worry about the long-term goals because you can't really make plans at this point, I think. Well, I think it depends. And one of the things that I've learned throughout this time working with a lot of different clients is that everyone's in a slightly different situation. We're we're living through common circumstances, but how those circumstances are playing out for us individually is quite different. You know, I I have some clients who they wouldn't be working with me except for the fact that they've already paid for their coaching because right now maybe they're out of a job. They don't know if they're going to be able to go back to work. They don't know, you know, if they're going to be able to pay their mortgage over the next, you know, four to six months. And so there's a massive amount of uncertainty and, and stress that goes along with it. And then some other clients who... They're in a business. I have one client who works in the produce business, and that company has had their best, you know, quarter yep. in their history because so many people are buying food to bake and cook at home. Right. So everyone's a little bit different, and I think one of the things that we can do for ourselves and for those around us that we care about is just to remember that each person is both individual by circumstances and response to those circumstances as well as their capacity to interact not only for themselves with their circumstances, but also with each other. And, you know, there could be two people in the same family that have very diverse circumstances. Right. And, you know, maybe, you know, we're not thinking about it, but, you know, maybe there are people, friends, family, coaches, mentors who can sort of help us. Maybe they're in a position, maybe they they are doing okay. And you can ask for that help, right? How do you feel about that? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the key things that I'll ask my clients is who else around you can you lean on? Who else around you can help hold you accountable to the things that you want to be doing? So that certainly can be a coach, but it also includes, you know, one spouse, sometimes adult children, siblings, parents, other family members, coworkers, and so on. This is a very isolating time, as we know, because so many of us have been asked to reduce or completely eliminate contact with others. And so it's important to remind ourselves that we can reach out, we should reach out, because we're wired to be social beings. And so it's only through that reliance on each other and in groups that we've actually been able to get to where we are today and all the successes that we have. So we need to lean on that now that we need it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Jamie. That was Rod McDonald. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss sex during COVID-19 on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. St. Francis Herb Farm is a leading herbal company that is 100% Canadian-owned and family-run in the Ottawa Valley for over 30 years. St. Francis Herb Farm is obsessed with plant medicine. Their holistic approach includes only certified organic and well-crafted herbs. Processes learned over decades get the most out of the herbs, and leveraging science ensures the highest quality. The foundation for their well-made plant medicine 
St. Francis Herb Farm is well-known and trusted for their wildly popular Deep Immune that can help you fend off flus and colds, as well as a full range of natural health and wellness products for the whole family. To learn more, visit stfrancisherbfarm.com or follow them on Instagram or Facebook. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's also the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com, and she can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hello, Jamie. I'm well, which is always a significant thing in these times, right? Yeah, not, <laughs> not to be taken for granted, absolutely. Yep, that's for sure. Recently, the chief doctor in Canada, I don't know if that's her official title, but Dr. Tam, who's always on TV telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing vis-a-vis COVID, made the interesting statement that we should be wearing masks during sex, Mm -hmm. which I know piqued my attention and I, I suspect piqued yours as well. So I thought it would be helpful if we came on and we discussed the sort of nexus between the pandemic and sex, okay? Yeah, absolutely. So how is COVID impacting sexual relationships? What are you seeing? Certainly it's impacting people's sense of loneliness in particular. People who are not in relationships are experiencing that. They're feeling isolated. It's also, you know, it's really hard to date when you can only see people outside and people are really trying to balance between safety and COVID as well as needs for connection and relationship and sex. So that's been really, really hard for people. And now, of course, the outdoor patios are going to close at some point. So, you know, in December, that kind of thing, it's going to be a little bit harder. Right. So that's really tough for people who are looking to connect and looking to have a relationship. And and this yeah. is known right now as cuffing season. So this, this is the time of year. Usually it's October, but it's been yeah. pushed back because of COVID. Right. Where you are single, you were single over the summer, you really want to meet someone so that when the weather's dark and dreary, when you're going to family gatherings over the winter months, that you have somebody to go to those with to kind of help you with the loneliness through that. And so usually that starts in October, but people are really feeling it now because they are wanting to get that going, right? They don't want to wait until October, November, because then it's going to be a little bit harder to date. So you use the phrase cuffing. Is that like, you mean like handcuffing? Is that what it refers to? Like, what does that mean? I think that's where it originates from. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. So, you know, presumably you can get out of it if you want to, and that you yourself, you know, use the key to put yourself in. But yeah, it's the idea that you're cuffed to someone for at least the winter, if not longer. Right. So I guess people have to make that decision. Like, 
is this person I've met or that I might be interested in, are they bubble worthy, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really hard to figure out. I mean, how well do you know someone when you're chatting to them online, you're meeting them outdoors? You know, you have to ask lots of questions about what their precautions are. Where do they work? Are they in a hospital, for example? Right. Do they take good precautions? Who else do they live with? Right. You know, are they going to the gym, working out? Like, what are their habits? So it's, it's a whole bunch of different questions that we have to ask as well. Wow. And then the other consideration is that, you know, if you're not comfortable taking the TTC, then what is your dating radius, right? Maybe yeah. you would have normally, if you, especially if you don't have a car, maybe you would have normally dated somebody if you live in Scarborough in Mississauga. Right. But you don't want to sit on the transit for an hour each way. If you go by bike, are they in a bikeable distance? You know, so these are other considerations that used to play in somewhat. I mean, some people wanted to, you know, date someone who was closer by, but it's kind of limiting things even more. Right. And it's not even you can fish off the corporate pier. Like, I mean, I I think that's discouraged Mm -hmm. in general, but like Mm -hmm. everybody's working from home now too. So it's not even like, who are you seeing? Who are you actually able to connect with? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of other considerations. And yeah, you know, how many bubbles are they in also, right? Right. (laughs) You know? Or or are they truthful, right? Like you could ask these questions, but if if you don't know somebody, you may not be able to tell right away whether or not they're candid or, or, you know, whether they're holding back, you know? Right. Of course. Yeah. You can say anything, which is always a danger when dating, but there's this added element now. Yeah. But it may or may not be life-threatening, right? You know, like, yes, but now there's a whole other layer of what happens if I'm not hearing the truth. So that's people who are dating or who aren't mm-hmm. with a partner, but COVID's also impacting people who are in a monogamous relationship too, right? Absolutely. I mean, certainly in terms of just straight up, you know, sex, you know, if somebody's in your bubble, then you really don't need any restrictions. If you are meeting them face to face, you know, sex is not really a whole lot riskier. And so, you know, the issues though are somebody's been potentially exposed or they have symptoms, then maybe you need to isolate. And, you know, I experienced that where somebody I worked with had the flu. And so I had seen them that day. So I isolated myself until they got their COVID results back. And fortunately, in our case, it was okay. But, you know, there are some people who work in healthcare who've decided that they're going to isolate somewhat, you know, temporarily, permanently, just because they're constantly exposed. Right. My father-in-law attended to a number of healthcare facilities, right? He'd be in Mm -hmm. and out and seeing older patients. Mm. And he decided that he needed to isolate himself from his spouse because, you know, he was concerned about that. And so... Those are hard, hard decisions. And even just the stress of, you know, I'm working from home. I can't do the things I used to do. I can't do, you know, the workout the way I used to. I can't see my friends the way I used to. There's so much more stress right now. And then a lot of people are under financial stress. So sometimes stress boosts your libido, but mostly it's not great. And then add on, you know, if you're feeling depressed, you know, all kinds of things. You you know, a lot of people feel like they've got the COVID bodies, they've put on weight, they're not as comfortable. So those kinds of things affect people who are in really in any relationships. And then also if you're, you know, living with a partner in a monogamous relationship, sometimes you don't have as much privacy from housemates, from kids, from parents, depending on what your living situation is, because everybody's home. Yeah. 
You can't send the kids to the movies. <laughs> That's right. You can send them to park, yeah. but at least you can do that now. And some people you can send them to school, but it's really impacting the intimacy side of relationships. And then, For of sure. course, what happens, you're around each other all the time. You're, you're nagging each other a bit more. You're fighting a little bit more, yep. which, again, is not great for libido boosting. But, you know, if you flip the argument, though, you could say that, you know, sex is even more important now, right? Because... You know, there's only so much Netflix you can watch, Carlisle. (laughs) Yeah, and and sex and intimacy satisfy a whole different need than Netflix fills. Of course. So, yeah, I mean, we are creatures where we crave connection. We crave even just like physical touch, you know, and that sex as a form of stress relief. It's also, you know, somewhat exercise. It's a way to be connected. And it's good for us, especially... You know, if you have kids or you've got a career, it's it's nice to feel like you're a human other than those roles. Right. And I find that also it's good for relationships because we get along better when we're intimately connected, even if that's just hugging regularly. But having sexual connection, I find that, you know, you're nicer to each other. You don't get so upset if, you know, they leave their dishes in the sink yeah. or whatever, you know. We have a lot you'd, more patience you'd, you'd, you'd and think tolerance. It, hope, Carlisle, it doesn't necessarily work that way. <laughs> I could be speaking from experience. I don't know. I, I'll tell you, I'm very diligent about putting my plates away. That's for sure. So when Dr. Tam says, you know, we should be wearing masks, I mean, like the first thing that crossed my mind is, is this really workable and realistic? And like, does everybody really need to do this? Well, so, I mean, certainly that's for people who aren't in your bubble would be the way to do that. Now, is it realistic? I wouldn't say so. I don't think most people are going to do that. It's sort of a recommendation. It's part of the harm reduction approach is that if you're going, you know, you shouldn't have sex with somebody outside your bubble, preferably. But if you are going to, please wear a mask. If it's a new partner, please wear a mask. And, you know, it's great if you can kink that up a little bit and make that part of the fun. Right. Well, you're the expert. I already know the answer to this question. I presume there's mask porn now, right? (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I haven't haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure there is. You know, obviously it's more than just wearing masks now because we're learning more about the virus as we go along. But like it doesn't qualify as being sexually transmitted, but there are risks, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there are risks such as, well, it's been found in semen and in feces or poop. It's not clear how risky it is for vaginal anal sex. And most coronaviruses aren't easily transmissible that way. So using condoms, using latex barriers also for oral stimulation is useful. So what they're recommending is no kissing. If you can, not be face-to-face, positioning away from each other, not in an enclosed area. So outdoor kind of sex can be great. And washing your body before and after and not touching each other's faces, which is a really hard protocol to follow, but that's sort of what's recommended. Have some hand sanitizer so you can wash your hands and certainly limiting your sex partners. So try and not have multiple sex partners or if you have more than one, make it the same ones over and over so you're not continually spreading amongst different bubbles. Right. And I suppose we have time for one last little bit. You know, there's sex where you're with somebody face to face and in the same room, but there's other types of sex too, like long distance sex. And that may be an option, right? 
Yeah, so, you know, video phone sex has been around for a long time, and you can certainly do that. And there are great sex toy apps where one partner can have the control, and through Wi-Fi you can control your partner's sex toy, and so you can watch, you can play. Just be careful if you don't know the person, if there's anything of you identifying, because you don't want them recording the video and posting that. And, yeah, you can also, like, be eight feet apart, Yeah, (laughs) right? You can pleasure yourself. You know, sometimes that whole, like, I can't touch you or you can't have me can increase some of the intensity. So if you want to, those can be creative ways to also add some fun. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. Next month, we're going to go a different direction. We're going to discuss abstinence. Yeah. Yes. The opposite quasi. (laughs) Thanks. That was Carlisle Jansen. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Dr. Stacey Irvine, Rod McDonald, and Carlisle Jansen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss getting a good night's sleep, gray divorce, and holistic nutrition. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.